and lives for excitement. Give him 007. There's a 007 gift set for every assignment. This one packs the full line, including 007 aftershave, hairdressing, and cologne. That's 007. choose your own waypoints, or do they choose you? When you think of time, what do you think about? The current time? Time that slipped away? You might think of keeping time, as in music, or the time that flew away while you were having fun. Time management, as in you don't have enough of it. Time as the future date, as in there will come a time. Time, of course, is an illusion. Einstein showed that there was no dividing line between past, present, and future. Time is relative to where you are. Other physicists have argued that time isn't even real, that everything in the universe is simply an arrangement of nows. Every now is a waypoint. And that's probably one way you're not thinking about time as a place, a waypoint on our journey as we float further away from the center of the universe. Okay, don't worry, I'm not going too far down this road. But see, in business, as in life, we've invented self-imposed time waypoints, deadlines that help us define the moments when we should be showing progress. You come in at 9 a.m. and you work until 6 p.m. You work from Monday through Friday. The campaign will run for three weeks. Your goals are due at the end of the month. The financial results are due at the end of each third month, each quarter. The end of our fiscal year is December 31st. How are we doing on our five-year plan? But wait, you say. I didn't choose those waypoints. Those are chosen for me. And you're right. There's nothing wrong with that. Waypoints serve a purpose. They help us find our way collectively together. They help us define our progress and measure the things we want to do. When we meet our goals along the timeline, we feel the satisfaction of accomplishment. When we don't meet those goals, waypoints help us agree on the improvements we can make. But when we assume that waypoints can't be changed, they can also degrade our experiences. Passively accepting waypoints can hinder us. For example, many businesses are now trapped in a quarter-to-quarter performance race that prevents them from making longer-term investments. As marketers, we may feel forced to run campaigns that meet established monthly sales goals. As content creators, we may see no alternative to scrambling to meet an editorial timetable that says, it's always been that way. However real these deadlines may seem, we give up our power when we see them as absolutes. Someone made them up, and we bought into them. They're all illusions. To get your power back, try this exercise. You can do it on your own or with a team. At least momentarily, remove the waypoints that might limit your ideas. What could you create if there was nothing you had to create? No daily blog post, no weekly newsletter, no monthly report, no quarterly call, no annual customer event. As investor billionaire Peter Thiel says, if you have a 10-year plan of how you get somewhere, you should ask yourself, What would we need to do to do it in six months? Put another way, if you were free to move your goal, what waypoints would you create to get there? That kind of unfettered thinking enables you to question inherited waypoints and create new ones. So what if your waypoints are anchored in something that turns out to be an illusion? When you choose your waypoints, you just might accomplish something wonderful, for real, in one of the infinite number of nows that you'll come across. And that's the theme of our show today, time. The waypoints you choose, 
and the ones chosen for you. I'd check my watch for the time, but it's missing. How will I ever find it? But now it's time for me to fly and get us on schedule for our show. You ready to beat the clock? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 199 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Friday, September 1st, 2017, a few days early for Content Marketing World. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the North Star when navigating your way through content marketing, Mr. Joe Pulitzi. How are you, my friend? Are you ready for the rumble? I'm getting excited. I got to yeah. tell you. I'm, I'm starting to feel it. Uh, actually, as I record this, uh, we just came from the convention center downtown. We're setting up. It's, man, of course, we got to get the exhibit hall done before Sunday night and got people arriving Sunday and Monday. And it's, uh, you know, I love it's, you know, it's content marketing holiday, if you will. It is. It's a it's a week-long Festivus is what this is. It's a Festivus it is, for the rest of us. That's right. And we have the content marketing pole that we'll all be dancing around. Um, yeah. I guess they call that the content marketing <laughs> pole dance. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know um, about that. Folks, I'm a little punchy because I've been up late working on all my content marketing world material. So I'm I'm drinking coffee, but I am a little punchy this morning. Well, and, and our theme, you know... Our theme is a world of stories, but for That's some right. reason, there's a lot of 80s music being played this year. I just, I, that, see, that makes my heart sing too, because oh. that's my jam. That is my jam, is, is 80s music. Well, you know, we're doing the 80s party on Wednesday night after this the full band conference is day. So good. Oh, they're so good. Mega 80s. It's going to be off the hook at the House of I, Blues. The and, last time they played, I have never walked out of a uh, of a of a bar or a or a dance place as drenched oh, as you I mean were. I was completely I was like a wet puppy I was drenched from sweat because I was dancing so much. And well, that had nothing They're to so do good. nothing to do with the tequila. <laughs> yeah, that you were ingesting. Knows. That is correct. It, it might have had everything to do with the tequila. I was ingesting. No, we correct. no we were doing the, we're going to do the eighties party, and then I'm thinking, yeah. well, let's just uh, put eighties music into everything we do so the playlist which usually i very particular you know i'm very particular about my playlist that is correct and uh and so instead of bringing back the good ones and adding in some new ones i said let's just go full on 80s so that's the whole time we're going to be hearing 80s music and it's It's fantastic it's it is going just to be, fantastic. We're going to have such a great time. Well, I, speak, um, well, speaking of 80s music, we should speak about the uh, amazing sponsor we have for the top of the show. We do have a top of the show. 199. I can't believe I it. Episode 199. One away. And, away. Our good, <laughs> and our good friends at Wyden were wonderful enough to sponsor. They have a great guide called the Creative Workflow Workbook, which I can now say, because if you listened yeah. to last time, I've had trouble saying it. Creative Workflow Workbook, your guide to producing better work together. 
And the folks at Wyden put this together. They found that creative content production at most organizations falls into five core steps, strategic planning, tactical planning, creation, deployment, and assessment. Where are your teams getting stuck? Well, worry no more. You can download the Creative Workflow Workbook at cmi.media slash pnr199b. That's cmi.media slash pnr199b. You can also get it in the show notes. This is just a great piece of content. The folks at Widen always do a fantastic job. If you are struggling with your creative workflow, which, as we know from the, you know, you and I just went through the research top lines, that's always the biggest issue, right? Creating engaging content is always very challenging for any enterprise brand. Well, now you've got a guide that can help you. Go ahead and download it. And thanks to our friends at Widen for making this happen. It's amazing. It's one of those things where workflow is, you know, you get that right and it's it makes everything else easier, right? That collaborative workflow is just something that's so can be so it's change management. So it's so difficult, and having any kind of guide to help that out is is one of the just critical keys to to getting content marketing right. I think every time I listen, because you and I don't know if you still do this, but a couple of years ago you used to talk about, oh my god, you know, the, Bob's in charge of the blog, and Bob's not here today, and what do we do? Well, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> that's like we're okay. I guess we're not doing the blog today because bob's out that's right and poor bob because you know bob all you always throw bob under a bus so bob bob and frank yeah and, you know it's funny too. because that i mean just to the theme of the show right it's always about time right it's friday so we have to have the newsletter why because it's friday of course you have to have the newsletter on friday so everybody runs around to everybody's cube and says hey what are we going to talk about it's friday we have to send the newsletter out well i don't know and then bob finally goes well we could talk about that new client it's like yay mm-hmm. and that's the editorial strategy we have for our newsletter is just to run around and find what topics we can talk about on friday because it has to go out well i got two words for you here it's called work ahead like yeah. work, work at least two weeks ahead on your editorial process it really and does make a difference and that's where workflow comes in it that's really does exactly right hello 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 where are my shoes um so let's talk i mean just quickly because we're going to be doing this over the uh you know this 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 show will air over the week that we are in cleveland and that's having right. a good time and doing all of that for those that aren't attending um, or even for those that are that are that are coming and listening to this as they that they arrive and clean what, what are you most excited about what are you most excited about this year well i i would there's a keynote a brand new keynote by robert rose that i no, really i really want <laughs> to see shut up i just i mean i, I am excited i actually week. am excited about this so, no, th- so this is you know, yeah. it's it's good well I mean, I think we can sort of let it out of the bag where a lot of uh, our theme, you know, yours and mine, especially with our book, Killing Marketing, which is coming out right now, is about building an audience. So I'm going to talk about that in the opening keynote, and I'm trying to sort of set the stage for you in your afternoon keynote. You go on right before Casey Neistat, which my son is just going crazy over because he loves Casey Neistat. And if you don't know, if you don't know what Casey Neistat does, just go to his YouTube page. It, it's amazing what he's been able to do. It's kind of taking his production and film career and throwing it on on YouTube and creating this huge audience. And of course, he got bought out by CNN and and that whole thing. But honestly, my thing, I really am excited about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Are and, you really? I, and the reason why is. Because the guy actually gets it. It takes me back to Kevin Spacey. You know, when you and I were talking to Mr. Spacey in the back and and, and went before Content Marketing World 2013, I think that was. That's right. And he just gets the whole idea of 
creating content, building audiences, and this is the same, if not more, with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And for those of you that don't know, he created a media company called Hit Record, and he's created this amazing platform of collaborative video and really lifting up content creators in this video format. And I I got a, a, a taste of his presentation, and it's going to be good. Like he is going to just hit a home run with this thing, and I'm I'm just oh that's so really cool. excited. And I think I might actually be like usually when I go out on stage with with somebody they're much taller than I am. I think he's about the same height, so I feel good about that. There's <laughs> that you've got that working got in that. your favor. So how about you? What what are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to a few things. So the first off is, uh, yeah, I mean, with all humility, I actually am really excited about my keynote because it's also introducing this new framework, which I touched on in a blog post on Content Marketing Institute's blog. Um, And it's a new framework and a tool that I'm going to be using in the classes, the master classes, my consulting, all of that. It's this tool to figure out how brands can value audiences. And so I'm presenting the framework. And so it's a, you know, the the power of a measured audience and, um, and how that's going. And so I'm Really excited about that. I am excited for Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, of course, I am excited for you to debut some of the new research, That's right. um, which I have gotten a taste of and I just think is uh, really amazing and points to some really, really cool things. Um, I'm usual. I'm 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 looking forward to the. We have a, a special track this year that the the TED, it's like TED Talk track, so it's like these these thirty minute sort of. Um, things um, that you know, Tamsin Webster, uh, who is going to be speaking there. I'm really excited to 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 hear and see that because I just have a fascination with that format. I'm also honestly really excited to see some of our friends, our the usual suspects, Jay Bear, Scott Stratton. Um, they always have fantastic talks that are extremely inspiring. Um, and then I love the fact the way that we've strug- uh, st- structured that last day, that Friday, um, with more sessions and also with sort of the what to do on Monday session that I think Michelle Lynn, it's not called the what to do Monday, but it's basically what to do on Monday. Basically, what did you yep. get out of content marketing world and sort what of what do a, you need? Yeah. Sh- what do you do now? Now that you've, yeah. uh, you've, you drank the fire hose of content marketing. Exactly. What do we do? And I got to sh- I got to work with her a little bit on her workshop that she's going to be conducting there, and and helped her a little bit, and I'm super excited for for that. So yeah, it's it's homecoming weekend. So I mean, a homecoming week, I should say. So um, uh, it's going to be great. And you you forgot about our book signing. Oh well, of course, there's that. I We're mean, dropping I'd- the book at the at the event as well. So. Ta-da. And you just got your copies. I saw the Facebook I post. Did. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm holding it as we speak. We we made we made Elizabeth cry just to, just oh FYI. my goodness yes. yes that was our only yes. goal we did yes. it <laughs> when she opened the book and she saw the dedication to to Pam and 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 her she 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 oh, she teared up it was perfect. very sweet because she Billy loves Joel. Billy Joel very yeah. much yeah Ab- so. absolutely that that works every time but you know I have to you know you and I were emailing back and forth with McGraw Hill Education and, and Danya over there who is our executive editor and we and again I said thank you for letting us yeah. go with that title. Uh, because we're having so much fun, the book cover. I think it looks almost like a fiction book to me. Yeah, it's cool. It's a business book, so yeah. We, the, I think killing marketing was the was the right choice for that. Uh, do, by the way, to, seems to be people seem to be digging it. Oh, so, I think uh, they so, are and, digging yeah. it. Absolutely, it's it's only mostly dead. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Marketing, it's only mostly it's only dead. Mostly dead. Are we supposed to do some promo for killing marketing? Are we did did Amanda tell us that we had to do that? I don't know. I mean, sorry folks. 
Robert and I are all over the place this week. Are we supposed to? You know what? I I think we are actually. Let me while while you're doing one of the stories, I'll look that up. Well, I I, it's fine. I already know it. I know it by heart. Oh, you know it. Well, then do it. Basically, if you um, if you send your receipt, you go ahead and pre-order or buy Killing Marketing, either the ebook or the print version. It's, it's actually out. It's not supposed to be released until mid-September. It's already available on Amazon. They're so fast. Yeah, if you I know. go ahead and do that and you send it to contest at zsquaredmedia.com, contest at zsquaredmedia.com, you send your receipt. Um, you get uh, entered into a chance to win a really good chance at winning a, an audio version of it. So go ahead and do that and uh, send it on our way. I, I think that's the only way to do it. I think you can also use the hashtag killing marketing, but I think we're trying to get everybody to send it to contest at zsquaredmedia.com. And, and uh, so we have actually a record that you purchased it because we want you to buy it. Cause yes, that's of course. Really- <laughs> That's really what, that. If you haven't gotten that There's memo, that. if you didn't figure that part out of the little promo, that's the most important right. part of the promo. Okay. And last <laughs> thing on this, okay, yeah, you can just not send the emails about us talking about ourselves so much this episode. All right, just don't. I already right. know we're going to get them. Hey, you guys did ten minutes of promo. I don't care. I yeah. don't care. It's content marketing world. It. It's a special week. It's one ninety nine. I'll yeah. tell you what. Here's what you do. Write out the email. That you were so angry that we talked about it, but then just hit delete. Just, just, just hit delete. That's all you got to do. Just hit delete. It's noted. Noted it's no, for the we, record. We, yeah, we know it for the record. <laughs> Having said that, shall we move to Let's our to our quick hits? Let's, all right. So we are. We're we're not that much further in than we normally are, but we are a little further in. So let's get to oh, our quick hits, know. which is, yeah. of course, larger news items that we think you should be paying attention to. Of course, the largest we just covered, which, of course, is you should be paying attention to Content Marketing World. And if you're not there, shame on you. But if you're not coming to Content Marketing World and you want to read, or if you are coming to Content Marketing World and you want to read, here's a couple of stories that we think, we think you should be paying attention to. The first one comes uh, from our friends at MarketingLand.com. And the headline here is, is Google getting ready to buy Marketo? Um, the article opens up by saying, marketing platform Marketo announced last week a multi-year alliance with Google Cloud, which Marketo CEO Steve Lucas described in an email announcement as a step forward in our collaboration to unite MarTech and AdTech. Beginning next year, Marketo will move its products from its independent data centers to the Google Cloud platform. The alliance also involves joint investments in such areas as artificial intelligence, plus an expansion of Marketo's existing integrations with Google Ad products, Google Analytics, and its productivity-oriented G Suite applications. What say you, Mr. Polizzi? Is Google going to buy Marketo? Well, my first question is, why does ad tech and MarTech have to be united? Like, is this a kumbaya thing? Like, I don't think it... Oh, I don't I have a take on that. Okay, yeah. good. Well, you can go ahead yeah. and have a take on that. My take yeah. is why this might happen or why Google is going this direction is, is that ad tech is out and MarTech is in. MarTech is going to well, be that's, so that, much your larger. Reason. You just answered your own question. Yeah, yeah, I know. But MarTech is going to be so much. Yeah, ad, ad tech is going to be just a small speck on market on on the land that is marketing. Everything is going to revolve around this other area that's been growing and growing and growing, including you know content marketing tech. So that you put that into in there, and uh, you've got all these brands that are focusing less and less on how to deliver their advertising message and more and more how to deliver their own message. So that's where MarTech comes in. I, do I know if Google's going to buy Marketo? I, I don't know. I think that it makes perfect sense for them to do that. 
especially with what's going on. I don't know. Do you have a take on this whole thing? I do. I think they will. I, I like it. I mean, I, 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 if you'd asked me about this, it would have not been front and center of my, you know, sort of attention. Um, but hearing about it, it makes all the sense in the world to me um, that they could basically do with MarTech what they did with DoubleClick back in the day, right? So people forget that the Google whole, you know, um, you know, buying search ads and buying, uh, uh, com- you know, contextual ads across all of their properties was an acquisition. They didn't build that technology. They, they bought a company called DoubleClick back way back in the yep. day and then repositioned that whole thing as what we now know is the main revenue generator for um, the, the Google brand. And, and so when I hear this, I go, this makes a lot of sense because I absolutely uh, agree with you. MarTech is 10x more uh, deeper than, than, ad, than ad tech is in terms of the revenue and where they can get um, and they're starting to see some of the other companies like Adobe and Microsoft and IBM and those and Salesforce for sure get further into this mix. And so they need to have a play there. And so Marketo would be a really easy acquisition for them. It's, you know, it's now that it went back into the private equity world, yep. it's, 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 you know, it's ripe. This is exactly why a private equity company buys a company like Marketo. The timetable is right. The, the reason, exactly yeah, right. you're exactly right. The timetable is right. What has it been? It's been a year and change. So they're probably, yep. they need to spin it. They need to spin it's it all off. In, it's in all polished up. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, all exactly. polished up and efficiencies have been created and the tech is there and the customers are there and it's now, it's just, it's ready. So I, I like it. Um, you know, whether it's going to happen in the short term or not, I don't know, but I, but I, I, I would absolutely see it happening. So that what they, what you're saying is they put Marketo in the easy bake oven. And the Marketo <laughs> brownie is done, right? Is that what you're saying? That's, that's, yes, something like that. Marketo. Marketo. Again, we apologize, folks. Yes. It's going to be this all we're a little punchy. Like this. Yeah, yeah, we're a little punchy. All right. Our second uh, story here uh, that we'll uh, quick hit on um, comes to us courtesy of Ad Age um, and is almost the corollary. It's almost like we design these stories to follow each other for some reason. Um, the headline here is Trade Desk Response to P&G's Pritchard's Call for Action. Now, if you are a regular listener of the show, you've heard us talk about this call to action, call to arms that Pritchard, um, who is the chief brand officer for P&G, made. And it was some some people called it the most important speech in, in 20 years in advertising, etc. But the Ad Age article opens up by saying, seven months ago, Procter & Gamble chief brand officer Mark Pritchard, arguably the world's most influential marketer, pronounced that the days of giving digital a pass are over. It's time to grow up, he said. It's time for action during a talk at the Interactive Advertising Bureau's annual leadership summit in Florida. Today, it appears that Pritchard's call to arms is coming to fruition. The Trade Desk, which uh, primarily provides software that acts as a one-stop shop for agencies to buy digital ads and whose roster of clients includes P&G, announced Thursday it has struck a game-changing deal with cybersecurity outfit White Ops that, in theory, should effectively thwart bad actors from siphoning ad dollars from marketing uh, for impressions never seen by humans. In other words, the bots and ad fraud that we all hear about. Um, I definitely have a take on this. What is what is yours? Well, I, you, know, you know this area better than I do. It, it actually sounds like the way they make it out is they'll go ahead and, and check it as the ad is, is rendering to those sites so that they can see right, right as it's happening whether or not it's fraudulent or not. I don't know how they do that, but uh, it seems like they've been working on this for a while. 
Uh, I think Pritchard has already been partnering with the trade desk on this. There's a number of companies that even in the comments, they'll say we've been working with them for a while. It seems like they're sort of the leaders in this area. So it sounds like a better solution than what Google had. We talked about last week where they sort of said, well, you know what? We can't do anything about it, but we'll pay after the fact. So from that standpoint, I like it. I don't know if I believe it yet that it's a real solution, but hey, it sounds great. My 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 take on this, Robert, is there's so much energy going into this. It almost seems like you're putting time and resources into a losing battle, in my opinion, because we're just focus- we're still focusing on how we're going to distribute an advertisement that people probably don't want to get anyways. So we're trying to perfect that process as much as we can and deliver that when what if all that energy was taken on creating better communications with our customers? Wouldn't that be a better use of that? So that's that's my rant on that. That's when I read that. I'm like, wow, all this time and energy is being put in this and money, millions and millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars is being put into this. And I'm like, it just seems like this is a temporary thing. I don't know. I could be wrong. Mr. Polizzi, you took the words right. I mean, the funny thing is, we did, now we did not talk about this at all before the show. In fact, we were told each other we were going to surprise each other, and you literally just took the words out of my mouth because, and this is part of my, I'm actually including this, uh, and, and it's one of the reasons the story is in the show this week is I'm including this in my keynote about the evolution of what we're talking about here. That is exactly the challenge with this, which is, it's great. So I have nothing, you know, nothing untoward to say about the the trade desk and, and their partnership with the, the security team and yeah. all that stuff and good for them, right? So we talked on the show uh, a few episodes ago about how, you know, we kind of laughed about it, right? So the report came out that said six and a half billion dollars was the estimated loss of money. Um, based on fraud in advertising and digital advertising specifically. And, and everybody was like the, you know, the ad community was like gleefully, you know, jumping up and down and celebrating that it was going to come down to six and a half billion dollars. And we were like, really? That's, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's like, hey, my house blew up, but you know, the kitchen's still there, you know, and, 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 <laughs> and so we're really happy. But here's what I, I, just to your point, this is where we are today, right? We, inv- we, as marketers, we invented and, and, and created technology to help us place ads at scale, and we called it programmatic advertising. And so now we have part of our ad tech stack is to have some technology we pay for that actually helps us do that at a scale. And we created such scale that we had to buy new technology to actually have us create a, you know, and have computers automatically assemble those ads for us across all those places that we were putting it at scale. Then, because of frauds and bots could do the same thing, we had to buy new technology on the uh, demand side of things to basically create at a detection of ad fraud um, on the publisher side when they displayed the ad so that we knew that our actually ad was being seen by humans. And now what we're seeing here is we're going to have to buy yet more technology to actually check the buy side so that when we actually place the bids, we know that we're placing them on actually good sites. So we've bought technology to meet the scale, to create the content at scale, to actually check the fraud at scale to actually check the fraud at the buy side at scale. And now we have to buy the technology to actually ourselves measure the results that we're getting from the Facebooks and the Googles and the other platforms of the world because they're telling us numbers that we can't believe. We're basically chasing technology expenditures down the road of this ad tech on something that people don't even want. And that's what's crazy to me is that we're willing to accept this tax 
on an institution simply because it has momentum. And that is uh, it, that to me is the crazy world that we now live in. And again, I, I see why they're doing it. I get why they're doing it. I'm sure the technology is brilliant and I'm sure it's brilliant in sussing it out. But at some point, somebody just has to go, yeah, let's Jane, get me off this crazy machine. Let's stop. Let's let's take this money that we're putting in all this technology and just put it somewhere else. And hopefully that's been building our own audience and taking some of that giant pound mound of money and mm-hmm. and putting it somewhere more effective. I just it it seems to me to be crazy at some point. Well, it's when I read this, this is what I thought of and and I don't know if this is perfectly fits the case, but I thought of bingo cards. So if you anybody that comes from the print industry knows that the way that advertisers got response in that is there would be bingo cards, what we call them, uh, inserted into a print magazine, print B2B magazine. So let's yeah. say that you saw, uh, let's just say Aero Electronics ad on page 32, you would take out the bingo card, you would fill it out and you would circle page 32 and you'd say, I want to receive information on Aero Electronics, please send it to me. And that's right. back in the 80s, this was all the rage. Everybody, That's how you got information because there were minimal channels where you could get information about products and services. Well, when you got into the 90s and into even the early 2000s, n- nobody was using bingo cards and they tried to figure it out. So they, sp- I remember when I was at Pet Media, there were groups of executives in meetings trying to figure out what do we do with this bingo card crisis? What, how do we make the bingo card better? Can, how do we force them to use the bingo card? Do we do it electronically? I mean, like, seriously, That's this is awesome. years. This is years of time that we spent trying to figure this out. And then finally, we came to the decision that is that, well, people don't want to use the bingo cards anymore. They can already get the information they want to whenever they want to. So maybe we should just take the bingo card out. <gasps> And that's what we did. The bingo card died. This, I'm it's, sure it's, the ad salespeople freaked out. I know. It's like, well, what do I do right now? There's no, there's no bingo cards. Oh, the funniest thing, side story. I went to a very large advertiser that I called on at Pent Media, and I was asking them. I'm like, well, you know, the magazine has delivered you a lot of leads and and, and the, the bingo cards that we got, and we sent them all to you. And I said, so, uh, you know, what what'd you do with them? <laughs> right. And he goes back into the corner and he opens up. Uh, one of his shelving units, and and they just fall out. He said, "Here right. they are." I said, "Giant like, rubber bands yes, stacked, wrapped exactly." That's what bingo cards, which is besides the point. But I'm just saying, it's to your point and to my point. We're just chasing after something that isn't worth chasing after. It just that's right. makes no sense. You got to put your brain power in other places. So that's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, we're going to move on now to our in depth news section, um, which is where we go a little bit more in depth into a couple of stories here. And the first one um, will also come from our good friends at Ad Age. And this one was an interesting uh, article here. I definitely want to get Mr. Polizzi's take on this. Um, the headline here is Fire the Writers. Uh, and make videos is the latest web recipe for publishers. Uh, so says this article. Um, big hat tip here, by the way, to Aaron Heilman at Aaron Heilman on Twitter. Thank you so much, Aaron, for uh, getting us this story via the hashtag. The article opens up by saying, Mike, a website, that's M-I-C, by the way, not M-I-K-E, Mike, a website aimed at millennials, used to employ 40 writers and editors producing articles on topics such as celebrating beauty and strong women. Um, Ten were let go this month. Maybe if, you, if those were the articles, then I can see. Anyway, I'll move on. Ten were let go this month, with most in the revamped newsroom of 63 now focused on making videos for places like Facebook. 
Critics have called such moves 100% cynical and out of sync with audience demand, yet Americans are watching more video snippets online either because they secretly like them or because they're getting harder to avoid. The growing audience for video, more valuable to advertisers than the space next to words, is causing websites to shift resources in what's become known across the industry as the pivot to video. (laughs) There's there's so much there to unpack. But yeah, um, what did you think about this article? Uh, So... S- the the stats in here are hard to believe and if they're true about so much of it, 81 minutes per uh, 81 minutes of video consumption per person in 2019 whatever it is all these stats are depressing to me and i don't even know if i agree with them um the the thing that's i love that the i was afraid the article wasn't going to get to this but i fell in love with the last part of this article where they say this has nothing to do with the audience this has nothing to do with oh trying to deliver better content to an audience, increase engagement. It has everything to do with the broken model that is media right, right now, and it's all about funding. So basically, I mean, the article goes into this where there's there are a lot of brands out there that have a lot of money that they want to spend right now on video because it's the flavor of the month. So they're like, oh, okay, well... Companies like Mike, God bless them, that's fine, that they're like, oh, we got to create more video because we're going to get more advertising, and they are. But again, it comes back to this is temporary because at some point very soon, consumers are going to figure out that they don't need to watch the ads. And when they figure out, what for however that's going to happen, that the ads are not going to be part of their consumption process, the whole thing's going to break. Because they're not going to be able to fund it. And oh, they're going to need a new revenue model. I wish somebody would write a book on this so they could figure <laughs> out what the new revenue model would be. But I guess that's my that's right. my concern about this whole thing because they're talking about, oh, video is the wave of the future and all that. And that's fine. More people are engaging in video. That's great because we can because we've got smartphones with us at all times. But the reason we're doing this is not to create a better content experience. The reason we're doing it is because we want more money and the money's there to be had right now, temporarily. But it's not going to be there in two years. That's right. That's right. It's just it's 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 purely because video commands a higher CPM, and if you can and and once that comes, to, I mean you, I mean just the law of supply and demand is going to bring that down, right? Where at a certain point it comes and it flattens down below text, and where text and video will be at the same CPM. So then, what do you do, right? What what's what, what what's going to be the what's the answer then? And if you do, if you haven't invested in the you know in the content type that's called text, then you you may be SOL. So you may be chasing something. You know this is something that you, you know there, there's an article that we're not covering this week, but was sent in um, that I thought was really interesting, which is that BuzzFeed has now given up on not you know they're now going to take banner ads. They're gonna they're gonna start doing banner ads and. I think what's happening is is that you have this time-based pressure to sort of make money in the short term, and you lose many of the long-term investments that you might make um, because what you're trying to do is make sure that you're meeting some quarterly artificial tentpole that you've that you need to erect and and. It's a, it's sad. I, I, you know, so in, 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 in one way, I get why they do it because the right now it's where the money is, right? It's, you know, it's follow the money. And, and right now the higher CPM and the higher, the, the higher area to make money is, is in video. But that won't always be the way because the whole proliferation of video will mean that it will sort of democratize the market yeah. and that CPM will inherently come down. And then where will you be? And if you don't have an investment in text, some of, you know, I, quite honestly, me as an audience, just a personal anecdote, 
I can't stand reading um, the New York, uh, not the New York Times, uh, CNN any longer because, quite frankly, I can't go to CNN without it automatically starting to play a video. Oh, I know. Jeez. And it's and it just drives me absolutely crazy because all I want to do is read the article. I don't want the five-second pre-roll ad that goes into the video version of the story. I just want to read the story. And that 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 scale will ultimately tip. Well, there's a, there's a great um, piece of research at the end of the story by Pew, a research yeah. center that says that uh, younger Americans actually prefer to get their news in text. So, you know, we've got conflicting research here. I guess it depends on how you look at it, because in the beginning they say, oh, more people are engaging in video and, and, and text is going by the wayside. And then you got another one that's saying it's not true. So just be careful at what you look at. The, the one thing I wanted to bring up is we've we played this record before. This is exactly what exactly. happened with banner ads. Right. That's right. It's exactly what happened with banner ads. You, you mentioned it, but in the early 2000s, we had, there were brands that had so much money for banner ads. I got banners. I got to put them up. Like, let's get them out there. And then what happened to that? Well, banners were everywhere. People started to ignore them. And now you're more likely to get hit by lightning than have somebody click on your banner ad. I mean, yep. so that's, that's that one. The one thing that I would say about video, and this is where it's amazing. I talked to a lot of what I would say are, are, quasi-innovative enterprises and, and they you look at their video strategy and it's it's still all over the place. They're just throwing video up on all different type, types of topics and they're trying to, okay, we've got to get the buyer's journey just right and this is how we're doing it instead of creating consistent, valuable uh, video uh, over a long period of time on a particular topic. And like a YouTuber does. I mean, that's yep. how Casey Neistat did it, right? He built his audience. That's how Matthew Patrick did it. That's how they That's how they built their audiences. So, I mean, if you're going to do it, the brand side of this story is, yes, you can build an audience using video, but you have to do it a certain way. And you can't do it the way that Mike's doing it or CNN's doing it because their strategy is all about eyeballs right now. It has that's nothing right. to do with driving any kind of other revenue, unfortunately. That's right. That's right. And I'm also looking at you, NFL.com, because I used to like that site, but they just went recently did a redesign that I just, ugh. Anyway, I'll get off on a rant on that. Um, we have a sponsor we should talk about. We, do. we We have a wonderful, wonderful sponsor to talk about. We I love two sponsor shows for obvious reasons. Yeah. So we've got another sponsor. Great friends at CoSchedule have an exclusive opportunity for PNR listeners. You can try CoSchedule free for 21 days. couple reasons. The number one marketing calendar for everything you do to get organized. You can get a bird's eye view of all your content and social promotion. Organize your content and build a consistent schedule. So you don't have to publish faster. So you can publish faster and more often. You got workflow management tools there. Keep everyone on the same page with clear directives. Never wonder who's doing what. We just talked about this before. Who's doing what or where you're at in a project. And then three is social promotion. Create all your social in one place. It's very handy for that. Focus your efforts on quality messaging and stop spending your valuable time jumping from one tool to the next. You, my friends, can try co-schedule for free. You get 21 days of it if you go to cmi.media slash pnr199a. That's cmi.media slash pnr199a or go to contentmarketinginstitute.com and uh, check out the show notes or you can find the show notes in your iTunes or Google Play or however you uh, queue us up. But thanks to co-schedule for making this happen. It's a great offer. If you really need to get organized, it's worth giving it a shot. 
So. Absolutely it is. And here, you know, the funny thing is, is that you just said you, you kind of messed up the copy there and you said, you know, it, to help you not publish as faster and, you know, and, and then it's like, oh, no, no, to, to publish faster and more often, et cetera, et cetera. Either one of those were our, our benefit statements. Either right? one is uh, correct. Either one either is one correct. Is, You're right. The, the key is getting a calendaring and collaboration system that you know how often you should be publishing and so that you're not worried about chasing your own tail in terms of that you actually have a strategy where you're calendaring all your content and you're talking like this at the end of every meeting. <laughs> oh, my God. Deep thoughts oh, right. by Jack it is now, Andy. There it is. Everybody yeah. talking. Um, I, we told you we were punchy. It is now time for your favorite part of the show, folks. It is time for our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're right on time and beating the time to beat, or we are actually late and we are running late. Um, so here we go. Uh, let's see. You actually, you're doing this on marketing, da, 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 da. so you're going first. It, it, it must be a weird show. Oh, this is a, yeah, this is the bizarro. Uh, this old marketing <laughs> show. Uh, I have I have a rave, uh, and I, basically this happened as I was I was just I was searching for some things regarding uh, music on YouTube, and I found my old friend Rob Scallon. That's S C A L L O N. So if you want to check this out, and I'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, Rob Scallon. I met Rob at the National Association of Music Merchants. Uh, you know, Nam, big show. Of in, course, in yeah. L- LA. Here in uh, here, yeah, here in SoCal. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I spoke there in 2015, and Rob opened for me. And I, had, I we were in the green room before I went on, and I had a great time talking with Rob. And I said, you know, what do you do? And I was, and he says, I'm really trying to build my audience on YouTube. And of course, he got me right away. I'm like, audience? What? What are you doing? Tell me, tell me about this. So he was saying that he has a very particular, and you can see it because his uh, YouTube videos and music is just insane. He he focuses on eight and nine string guitars is his specialty, and he plays some amazing music. Uh, and I, I told if you're into music, please go check it out. But he says I'm really working on it. I got I just got over a hundred thousand subscribers. I'm making it work. And, and I said, well, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? He says I'm trying to get to a point that I don't have to go out and gig anymore. He says, it's killing me. I said, I need more time at home. I'm, I'm really trying to build my audience so that I can, um, so I can be free. So I can run my own business and do whatever I want. And I, th- he says, I think I'm almost at that point. And for some reason, so it's been two years now. And I started going and I went out and checked him out. And I'm so happy he's got, he has over a million subscribers now. Uh, if you go to his YouTube channel. He is driving major advertising revenue through that, and he also has a Patreon account where he has 665 people that pay him every month for insider oh for insider tips. They pay him from one to like a hundred dollars, depending on how much they want to pay him. And so he has his own little audience that pays him for exclusive content. Um, he's been a contributor to Guitar World magazine, and it looks like from when I haven't talked to him, I haven't talked to him since uh, we interviewed him for Content Inc. Because obviously this is a content Content Inc. story, and it seems like he's really making it. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it is, here's a guy who really want he didn't have a lot of resources, uh, didn't want to work work for quote unquote the man anymore, and was able to basically reach every one of his dreams. And it looks like he's doing it. And this is how you do it. 
And he creates, if you go to his YouTube page, you'll see that every week he's got a new YouTube, um, uh, he's got a new song out on YouTube. He's got different places where he has his brand out there. He's building his Patreon account. That's his call to action. He's got an e-newsletter to keep in touch with him. He's doing all the right things. And I just wanted to have a shout out to Rob. Man, you're doing a great job. And I wanted to let everybody see this example because if Rob can do it, and not that, I mean, just Rob just didn't have a lot of resources. So there's no excuses why any company uh, can't do what, what Rob did. And Rob, again, he had his specialty, what we call a content tilt around this eight or nine string guitar play. And it's one of the best I've ever seen in it. So just wanted to throw that that's, out there as my rave this week. I love that story. Yeah. That is, that's great. I'm so, ha- I'm so happy I found out. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to use this as my rave. This is fantastic what he's doing. So that's wonderful. Well, weirdly, mine is similar. Um, mine is a similar, mine is sort of the, the next level or maybe 10 levels up from that. Okay. Um, so you're, a you're, I'm assuming this is, I guess, I guess this is a, a rave or some level of commentary. Um, you're a big Taylor Swift fan. I, I, understand. <laughs> as, as I heard, I heard to the great. Oh yes. Yes. You're a Swifty. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have Swifty <laughs> tattooed on the back of my neck. I see. Yes. yes. Okay. Great. Um, <laughs> Yeah. As you probably have heard, she dropped her new single um, this last week. I did hear that. Yes. So a couple of things really struck me here. So and the, the, we'll link to a couple of things in the show notes here. Um, the first one that we'll link to, which I just found fascinating, is that um, as she's dropping this new single and then subsequently this new album, um, and the article we're, we'll link to here says, Taylor Swift makes magazines along with music. So she is, in addition to creating this album, she's packaging it um, in a, two, a limited edition, a collectible magazines. She's publishing a magazine for re- so she's doing this with a partnership through Target. Um, there's 72 page magazines um, titled Volume One and Volume Two, very creatively. There, um, they have original poetry. They got photography, artwork created by Swift. They've got handwritten lyrics. They've got uh, a behind the scenes look at the music videos. This is Taylor Swift creating content, right? This is her content marketing. And they're all being packaged up together to sort of drive sales for the music. Now, normally I'd say, yay, that's great. And she's creating content. And isn't that interesting? And that she's creating all this extra stuff to basically increase the monetization of why you should buy an album, right? Because today we know that albums are really, you know, hard to sell, et cetera, et cetera. So she's basically repackaging, like many music artists are, sort of a premium set of content around an album. We'd go, yeah, that's interesting, but it's not that interesting. Cut to the other article and sort of controversy, if you will, that came out this week against Taylor Swift is she's made a deal with uh, Ticketmaster, and Ticketmaster has created this um, new program with artists, but they've really sort of taken it up a notch with with Taylor Swift, which um, is this what they're calling boost. Um, so you can boost the other the only way that you can get tickets to Taylor Swift's concerts is if you are a certain level of fan. And the certain level of fan is graded by how many videos you've watched and how many times you've watched them, how much stuff, merchandise, you've purchased. 
And the theory behind it, at least the PR behind it, is that, you know, from Taylor Swift's camp is, hey, listen, we really just want fans at the show, and we don't want to let bots and, and scalpers buy tickets and then make them really expensive to my fans. And so what we're doing is, is if you bought my stuff, the theory is, then you would have, um, you know, then, then you've got a better chance of getting actually in the lottery for tickets to the actual show. Which social media and the sort of cynical media world has said that's you know horrific because you're 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 tying purchases of other stuff to getting access to your show and maybe that's all some people can afford to do and blah 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 and so some so it's a big controversy right uh, to me and and as I look at this I I think it's I'm a little torn on it because I can see the point that it's like that gets a thing but it's also to me genius it's it's a genius move to say. Here I am, I'm putting out all this content, I'm going to basically give you a reason to go watch this video 14 times, to buy this magazine and this sort of packaged thing here today, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to gamify this by say, basically saying, the bigger fan you are, the more likely you are to get a ticket, a place in line for my, my concert. And so that is fascinating to me. It now is. here's the but here's the thing. That so that's neat in and of itself. But here's the thing that here's my little cynical brain being put on. This is certainly not going to stop scalpers. If if anybody so if anything in the discussion that we've had today about, you know, having to buy technology to combat fraud and ad bots and robots and all this kind of stuff, if there's anybody who is making the the mistaken assumption that scalpers and bots won't figure out a way to game this system. You are kidding yourself. This is, but this is exactly. But that's a win-win for Taylor Swift. If bots do it, great. It looks like her videos are extremely popular, and that her things are just wonderful. And scalpers buy them, and yay, more people show up to her concerts. And if more people do buy it, and it actually turns out to be humans doing it, it's a, she doesn't lose in doing this. And it's just, I just think it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. I'm not, you know, if I call it brilliant, I don't mean that I'm actually in favor of it, but I just think it's a really incredibly smart thing to have done. It's fascinating to me. So she's like operationalizing Kiss Army, if you will. That's right. That's right. Yeah. In a, in, in, and doing it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a technology-driven, data-driven way, right? Because what they're going to be doing is they're saying, hey, listen, you know, as, the, as this article says, basically, as fans, as fans pre-order the CD from big box retailers like Target or from Swift's store only, no, there's no indie record support here, by the way, they inform that if they'd like a guarantee that they receive reputation on the day it's released, they'll have to fork over an extra $48 to ensure timely shipping. Which brings the cost of one CD album purchase to $63. $63 for a single CD. Then you can also package in the magazine and all blah, 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 blah. And guess who, guess who the partner is? This is my favorite part. My favorite okay. part. What? Guess who the partner is? UPS. Oh, The my sponsored gosh. partner is UPS. Isn't that not genius? Oh, I mean, man. it's just crazy. Yeah. So there you have it. That that is beautiful. It's so funny because when you mentioned UPS, back in the day where we were trying to get more attention <laughs> over our magazines, uh, yeah. so that when they go went to the post office, we were trying to get a partnership with UPS to yeah. say, "Hey, well, well, if you give us a little bit of a break, wouldn't it be great to get your magazine from UPS?" Every right. Week? That's right. Anyways, that's beside the point. But that I love that example. I'm I'm torn yeah. too. I'm totally with you. 
but I, I, I give her all kinds of credit for trying to be innovative with it. Yeah, it's definitely innovative. I mean, I, I cannot lie with that. It's, it's, it's an innovative hey, thing for you sure. You know what? You never want to be loved by everybody. That's right. You You're well. Really she's loved or really hated. So she's doing. She's a good using job. the system that's out there, yeah. right? So she. So I can't fault her for that. She's using the system that's out there, and you know whether that's good for fans and artistry and all that. I'll I'll let the the other you know part of the world figure that part out. But from a business perspective, she's using the system, and it's and it's it's genius. Well, I think this is the time of the show for this old marketing example, but I'm not sure because I don't ever do it. So is this, there you go. is this the time? I think this would be the time. This yeah, this would, would be, be the segment. This would be the segment to, <laughs> this, to do yeah, this usually, old marketing example. I usually switch off by this time. Uh, we, have an, we have a fantastic uh, this old marketing example. And you remember, of course, Andrew Davis, our good friend, speaker, marketer. Uh, he is going to be a content marketing world. He's doing one of his amazing speeches. Again, he's uh, past keynoters. Well, he created a book, wrote a book called Town Inc. You remember that book by I Andrew? do. It's a fantastic book. If you haven't read it. By the way, if you work for any kind of uh, city or economic development organization, this is like a must read. This You will get more out of this book than any book you could possibly ever get your hands on. And I love this example, and I, fit, I think it fits into our definition of what this old marketing is all about. So one of the examples is the city of Warsaw, Indiana. And basically, I'm not going to go into the whole history, but when, you know, back in the, the late 1800s, they started to get, uh, I think the first orthopedic device manufacturer was located in Warsaw, Indiana. And as you know, it, it had a lot of employees and it really helped the city of Warsaw. And then in, I think in 1977, uh, there was another one so that they had two. Well, in the mid 2000s, what happened is there was a group um, that put, they put themselves together. The city of Warsaw, Indiana put this group together called OrthoWorks. And they said that because they had these two companies and they started to see more and more, they're like, look, we can actually be the orthopedic capital of the world. We could put our you know, kind of like what we tried to do with Cleveland, you know, the content marketing capital world, same thing. They said, well, we've got to go out and tell that story. So they created an organization called OrthoWorks. It was a nonprofit officially formed in 2009. And they started to put all this content about Warsaw, Indiana being the orthopedic capital of the world. So if you go to orthoworksindiana.com, you will see their newsroom and different initiatives. And it's all about talking about the amazing stuff that's going on in orthopedics in Warsaw, Indiana. And it was the whole, the whole goal of this is three core initiatives. They say this on their site, orthoworksindiana.com is talent development, talent attraction, and innovation. And since 2009, they've been able to drive I don't know how many companies, but billions of dollars worth of of new companies coming in and new employees and new talent coming into the area because they are now unquestioned. They have, uh, it says, according to this, 50% of the global orthopedic market for total joint replacements. Wow. Making Warsaw, wow. Indiana officially the orthopedic capital of the world. But what they did, it's, so it's it's funny, they started with a claim. And that's what Andrew Davis talks about in the book. It's a, he says, make your claim. If you have a little bit of a story, make the claim and say you are the orthopedic capital of the world or whatever it is for you. And then work that. And they created the organization called OrthoWorks, started to create, created the content marketing strategy around it, started to get more publicity. When anybody talked about Warsaw, Indiana, they always said Warsaw is the orthopedic capital of the world, whether it was true or not, I don't know, but they made it real. 
And now it became true because when anybody in orthopedics was looking to start up a new company, they were they were looking at Warsaw first. And why not? Because Warsaw, Indiana is the orthopedic capital of the world. So I absolutely love this example. I think it's a great economic development example, but honestly, any company could take this. You have to have something to start with it, even if it's a grain of sand, but then you build that content marketing strategy around it and you'll make your dreams come true. So and then I'll put in the show notes how you can get Town Inc. <laughs> the book. I'll put OrthoWorks, the website in there, and just a fantastic this old marketing example. Oh, I love that. I think that's, I just think that's fantastic. I, you know, it reminds me very much of the, um, I just saw a story on CBS this morning about the town that sort of made a claim to have all the giant stuff. Like they've got a giant chair that you can go stand on and they've got a giant, you know, birdhouse and a giant mailbox and the world's largest, you know, uh, crochet needle and, you know, the world's largest, you know, fill in the blank, right, in this whole town. And they've increased tourism by, you know, like, you know, 300 percent and really saved the town by becoming sort of the with all the big stuff that they yep. have. It's 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 a great story. Well, yeah. it's, I mean, I'm from and, you know, I'm from Sandusky, Ohio, and we have Cedar Point, yeah. which is you know one of the roller coaster a roller coasters dream if you will if you like roller coasters you absolutely love Cedar Point and the city of Sandusky seemed to me to sort of separate from Cedar Point oh so Cedar yeah see we have Cedar Point but we're you know we're our own city we've got our own and they seem to be lately sort of leaning into that now and they're really calling themselves sort of the, the the roller coaster capital of the world and that kind of thing and I think that's what you do you lean into what you're good at. And it leads to all kinds of good things, but you have to have a plan behind it. And they obviously had a plan in this case. So, yep. Can you dig it? I knew, knew that, that you, you could. could. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to see you in literally three days. That's so exactly I'm, right. Yes. I'm very excited about that, I have oh, to tell you. We're going to have a ball. And uh, and actually, what I think we're you and I talked about it, I think instead of releasing this on Monday night, I'll release it on Sunday night just to give to those people that are coming into town making sure, especially the international folks uh, that want to listen to this before they hit Cleveland, Ohio. And we're supposed to have beautiful weather. It's in the mid-70s. It's going to be fantastic. So, uh, And I do, do to need that. to and do need to say, we have a lot of our you know prayers out to the folks in, in the in Houston, Houston area. Absolutely. We have a lot of our, um, a lot of the people that we're going to attend Content Marketing World obviously can't make it for, for, the, for horrible reasons. And we just want to send our, our good wishes out to them that they, they yep. stay safe and, and get through this the best they can so i was uh i was born in galveston and grew up uh for a short time in the houston area in the clear lake city area so i know that area well i know what it's like to be flooded out i was i lived there when carla the hurricane hit and flooded out the entire city and i also know what a resilient bunch those texans are i'm i'm uh, i am a texan at, at at heart and was born there and and lived there almost my entire life before i moved out here to los angeles so Texas strong, be good, and uh, that is it. That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. Hopefully, we're going to see you at Content Marketing World. And if you like this episode, number 199, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes if it wasn't too weird or (laughs) off the rails for you? Um, Do consider subscribing if you haven't already via iTunes or Stitcher.com. 
And if you leave us a review or a comment, just let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing. And of course, you can also do the same for story ideas. We love those story ideas. Hashtag us up, This Old Marketing on Twitter. Or you can email at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available early as we go to publish on Sunday night. Um, And of course, in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. Until next week, everybody, and number 200, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.